Hey, Veritas. This is the Equipping Podcast. I'm Nathan Kolopek. I've got Matthew Morgan here. Matthew, say what's up. Hey, how's it going, man? No, I said say what's up, dude. What's gotta, up? There you go. Get a And then with us today, we got the Rev himself, uh, Reverend Jake Each. What's of up, the United States uh, yeah. of America. There's nothing reverent about it, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> so today, um, we, we got some stuff we want to get to, but... Guys, we want to let you in on something really important, something really valuable to us as a staff and as a staff culture, uh, food. And Amen. I'll, guys, I want recommendations from you of best restaurants in Cedar Rapids. we got to equip our people here. What are the best places to eat good food? That is great because we, we love to be with our people, and we've always said food is conversation lubricant. So mm. let's share good meals together. Um, so if you're connecting with leaders or just people you're pouring into, where are you going, Matthew? Well, I'll tell you what. Recently, I've been hung up on Red Robin. And oh. the, the burger list at that place is so excellent. And there's so many options. Man, Red Robin is great. But I think personally, I'm a big fan of Italian food. And I think the peak of Italian food is found in pizza. <laughs> and so there is a the joint over on yeah. Edgewood. Uh, Roscoe's Pizza. And I mean, there's some staff conflict over Roscoe's Pizza. I feel like it's so big, I have to like mention it. But uh, I love Roscoe's Pizza over on Edgewood. Um, it is great. Oh. Their Chicago style pizza, Mambo Combo. <laughs> you, Folks, you got your order down. But when you're saying combo. burgers, though, Map Room right by Veritas oh, is boy. so good. So a couple oh, yeah. of those guys went and had lunch there yesterday and they had a burger special for the week called the 420 burger that was, <laughs> was the, what was on that burger nathan uh, <laughs> i didn't eat it so we need to uh, talk <laughs> no, but it was a burger with let me see if i get this all right there was mac and cheese on the burger there were flaming hot cheetos the bun was grilled cheese there was a pizza roll on the burger what uh, it was insane i didn't i didn't eat it but it ian ate it and it was amazing it looked awesome wow so Map room is so good. I got a shout out to our man, Adam. Yeah, oh, yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. I feel like in that you're shaming us. Like, there was an assumed position for hey, Gianna's beef. I'm not going to assume. Gianna's beef. Oh. Uh, I love it. Stay beefy. Stay beefy. <laughs> it's the place to go. <laughs> the Italian ice is like somehow ice turned into ice cream, and that it's amazing. Um, but Taste of India. Yeah. I love, I love Taste of India. Oh. Um, and a new discovered place that I didn't know you could actually eat there is Nelson's Meat Market. Oh. Sometimes I just like to go in and look at the meat and smell <laughs> it. <laughs> is that over by Taste yeah, of India? Yeah, they got homemade ice cream there, too, I think. It's, it's wow. over by Taste of India. Yeah, wow. So you can go get your vegetarian Indian food, and then you can go over to the meat counter right afterwards. Best of both worlds. Wow. Uh, I mean, last spot, the local boar. It's close to here. Yeah. They got good specials. Uh, shout out to Eric, who comes yeah. to Veritas. And, All right. Uh, head chef. They're so good. I never knew a restaurant could make me fall in love with tater tots again. Oh, oh yes. They are really good. I struggled with the footlong hot dog ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, you struggle with go-karting after the footlong hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second time isn't as good. But yeah. oh. let's not talk. But okay. the, rest gotta, the rest of it's great. We got to yeah, move yeah. on. We got to move, right, move on. on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, the big thing we want to get to today, Jake, you just finished up an article. It's going to be released. And, and the title, I think, is a little bit provocative. It's a little spicy. It's called The Idolatry of Loving Your Neighbor. Is that right? Yeah. Man, okay. So there's a lot in there, but can you just give us a, a brief intro? What is this article about? What's going on? And then we'll kind of pull it apart together. Yeah. I mean, before we maybe get to the idolatry of love your neighbor, it's certainly provocative on reason trying to pull people into take a perspective that maybe we miss, but I don't want to too loosely float around the word idol and mm -hmm. assume people know it. Yeah, so yeah. like Matthew, what, 
what does idolatry mean? I mean, more than just we don't have statues at home that we bow down to, so is idolatry still a problem for Christians today? Yeah, I think, I mean, especially as contemporary, we always think of, you know, the golden calf, I think, is probably a predominant image, which cows are good, but they're not that good. So (laughs) the tension there is, yeah, there is idolatry around us, and I think a really short, concise definition of that is good things that become consuming things, and good things that become God things. And the reality of, like, what is God things? God is who we are to worship. And so when a good thing becomes a God thing, it's taking our time, our talent, and our treasure that ought to be devoted to the Lord. And so nothing is new. There's nothing that's far out if you worship money. Money is good. But you can make it your life. You can think about your retirement consistently all the time. And that becomes a God thing. It becomes a consuming thing. You start to sacrifice to your retirement to make it what you want it to be. Yeah, so when you're saying worship, Right. Again, if I'm not singing a song about it like I would on a Sunday morning, if I'm not singing a song in my retirement, am I still worshiping? What is worship in that sense? Well, going back to like devoting your time, talent, and treasure towards it. Again, like pulling worship out, we've we've hung it on the mantle of music too much. And it is a widespread thing, and we, we're devoted to it. And so there's devotion in worship music. It's taking your time. It's devotion of talent and a display of talent and expression from inside you. And so in similar ways, you know, money and similar ways, sex. I mean, you can worship that thing, too. It's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's maybe what can trip people up. Like, how can a good thing ever be wrong? Um, but when you say a good thing becomes a God thing, or I know Tim Keller puts it, a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. Yeah. Like it's too, it's become too important. Where we look at some sins, we think, okay, we know stealing is wrong. Um, but underneath that, you're probably coveting something. Yeah. Right? And underneath that, you're probably looking to find your value and your stat. Or, you know, there's a deeper idol underneath um, those things. So it's a good thing in the wrong place. Good thing in the wrong place. Yeah. That's elevated to be too important. Yeah. I heard the analogy one time, like, I got a fireplace in my house. A fire in my fireplace is great. Love it. keeps me warm. It's fun. It's vibey. But two feet in front of the fireplace, a fire there is in the wrong place, and that destroys everything. Or if you're going camping, a fire where you want it when you're camping in the fire, like, firing whatever you got. You can make s'mores. Yep. Two feet away in the woods is a forest fire. fire. It's bad. And in a lot of our lives, we've moved a good thing that's supposed to you know, serve a function, we've moved it two feet away and it's starting forest fires in our lives. And that's where it's it's sneaky. And I, I'd almost go to say more dangerous because we don't see like, how is that wrong? It's a good thing. It's like, oh, what snuck up and it has become an ultimate thing in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the hazard for many of us. Like uh, there's a lot of people, you know, even in our own life, we evaluate the last week and you're like, well, it, was, it wasn't a great week, but I didn't kill anybody, and I didn't get drunk, or I'm not on drugs. But that, in yeah, praise God for that, but there's other issues. Like, where were you in searching for comfort? And that's where idolatry creeps up very subtly in our lives. It's not just the top five sins. It's, it's in our attitudes. It's in our desires. Like, I didn't steal from somebody, but I sure wanted my neighbor's car. Uh, why is their life so easy in that constant, like, aching in our heart, like, God, God's messed me up here. Like, he's not giving to me what I want. Yeah. That's an issue. Okay, so Jake, the idolatry of loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor is a command from Jesus. <laughs> How can we make a command from Jesus an idol? Like, that, that almost doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. There's a lot of commands from Jesus we can turn into 
to idols. It's like we said, there are good things that become ultimate things, but there's certain some uh, provocativeness in the title. So like, okay, let's let's look at this at a different angle. So we go to Matthew 22. Jesus is asked, uh, you know, he's trying to be trapped. We're like, what is the greatest commandment? Like we have, uh, you know, there's 613 commandments, but by this time there was added to them, you're over 2,000 commandments. You got your just average day Jewish person is trying to follow the law, and they're saying, help me out. Like, what's most important? And Jesus answers the question with, you need to love the Lord your God with all your soul and heart and mind. And then he goes on, and the second is like it. Like, you asked for one, but I'm going to give you two because they're connected and they're both really important. Um, the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these, or, you know, the whole law of the prophets hang on these two things. But he did put an order to them. Mm. He said, this is the first and the greatest in love God. Then the second is to love your neighbor. So when we say idolatry can happen when good things become ultimate things, well, what about when what's second becomes what's first? Mm -hmm. And you have have an order reversal. Mm. So now we start to function as hey, the greatest thing you can do is to love your neighbor. And you should also love God too. That's important as well. To me, you've now approached the idolatry of love your neighbor because the first shapes the second, and the second submits to the first. Sure. So we get what does it really mean to love your neighbor as an overflow of loving God. Like those things should never be in, in conflict like, if I feel like I have to abandon the commands of God in order to love my neighbor, then that's not really loving our neighbor. Yeah, what, I mean, what are some of those practical things that in our day and age are kind of that test, that battleground, okay, am I getting these things out of order? Because I think it's so important to understand, yeah, the first shapes the second, and so if I, if I flip those around, I start to get some wrong conclusions. What, what kinds of things are, are you, as you're writing this article, as you're thinking, yeah. what's showing up? This happens when people begin to affirm sin in someone's life in the name of loving them. Mm, sure. Um, so if the first and greatest commandment in our mind is to love our neighbor, to love other people, and then the second is to love God, then we're making love God submit to whatever we think love our neighbor means instead of making love our neighbor submit to whatever loving God means. So if love your neighbor is elevated to the first commandment when it should be the second commandment, because we say, hey, God commands us to love people, Um, so I'm going to love you, which can then turn into I'm going to affirm you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to affirm your sinful decisions, and I'm doing it in the name of love. Right. And I'm doing it also ignoring love God. But I wouldn't admit that I don't love God. I've just made my idea of what loving God means submit to what I think loving my neighbor means. Yeah. Then I think you have idolatry. So maybe I'm, I'm more likely to look at how you feel loved than what God says about love. Amen. Like, yeah. If I'm going to, well, I'm probably not going to have that conversation because it's going to be really uncomfortable and I don't want to hurt the friendship or I don't want this, that, or the other. And the idea of what God actually wants in their life or in my life might not even show up in my calculations until after I've really worked through what do they feel like they need, what do they want? Is that, is that coming you're getting at? Yeah. yeah. Matthew, I mean, have you ever, have you seen a church culture maybe where this sort of becomes the norm? 
Like what, what would that look like if we get these out of whack and we kind of all start doing that together? What do you think that would look like? I mean, it's a heavily distracting thing because when you're basing thing off of your neighbors, your neighbors are going through a lot. And that's the thing that we need to realize is there's a lot going on in our culture, a lot going on in our society. There's a lot going on in Cedar Rapids. And then there's a lot of personal things that are going on between hurts and, you know, personal issues going on. And there's so much to address. And so when you see that in the church culture, you see churches that are devoted to so many things. Their people are so busy, but they're motivated by their feelings and by their neighbor, and they're not, there's no source behind it. And you see people burning out, and you see churches that are so distracted that the strands of truth are gone or, or leaving quickly. I mean, even if you think about the waters that we swim in as a people, like, all you need is... Love. right like all you need is love love is all you need or what the world needs now is love sweet love right just to be clear we are very for love your neighbor it is the second greatest commandment what we're saying is it's number two yeah yeah. and what it means to love your neighbor needs to flow out of the first and greatest commandment is to love god and those things are never at odds so if we feel like we have to abandon god's commandments in the name of love your neighbor that's not loving your neighbor. So if the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength, the, a love of fostering a love of God is the greatest thing we could do for mm. our neighbor. It's actually going to equip us, empower us, enable us to do the second commandment. Yes. Amen. Like, but it has to flow from there. Because yeah, I think yeah. we look at love your neighbor and we would say, how do I meet my neighbor's needs? How do I provide friendship to my neighbor? How do I serve my neighbor? Those are good, godly Christian commands. Those are everyday missionaries. Yeah, yes. and that main you can do that by not taking love your neighbor and elevating it over love for God, but you can do that by taking love your neighbor and separating it from mm. love your God. Mm. I think a holistic approach for a Christian uh, is to say, I do need to serve my neighbor. I do need to meet my neighbor's needs. I do need to have compassion on my neighbor. And I recognize the greatest thing I could do for my neighbor is foster a love for God in their own heart. Yeah, and something with eternal benefit, not just temporary benefit. So is there an idolatry of love itself in our culture? And we're talking about a good thing. God loves love. God is love. Like, are we putting that in the wrong place, just kind of all over the place? Definitely. I wouldn't just say love gets elevated. I mean, even we just got done going through 1 Corinthians, and the greatest of these is love, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's not so much an idolatry of love, but... Uh, a redefining of love mm. where you feel like, oh, that's not even biblical love anymore. Yeah. Um, so we can redefine love in a way that's not biblical. And just to equip real quick, there's kind of this fun thing in the art of the second question that's just kind of a, a thing we've used with connection group leaders, but asking simple questions that help open a conversation. So even if you're talking with someone through like, man, how do we love people, whatever, asking the question, what is love? How are we defining mm-hmm. it? Can open up some great conversation. So I was meeting with a, a college student a couple of years ago, meeting every week, and one of the first things we did was talk through who God says he is in, in First John, it's God is love. And I asked the student, what is love? And they, they responded so fast, love is accepting people for who they are. Because like, that, that's what they'd been told, that's what they'd heard, that's what they'd been making major life decisions off of. And I just asked, like, why is that the definition of love? Like, who says? Yeah. And, and what if I'm actually not in a good place or doing good things to myself? How is it loving for you to actually just accept me? Like, if I'm an alcoholic and I'm destroying my marriage, my life, 
why would accepting me actually be loving to me? Mm-hmm. And, and they responded, well, Christians have done a terrible job understanding where people are at. I said, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. oftentimes Christians have done a bad job understanding. But okay, say I'm an alcoholic ruining my marriage and my life and my health and all this. Just understanding where I'm at doesn't solve the problem. You have to have a vision and understanding for what real flourishing and wholeness and health looks like. But even that isn't loving because you can understand where I'm at and understand where I need to be and still not help me, mm. right? Like you could look from a distance and be like, yeah, your life sucks and it should be better. Good luck, right? Yeah. But stepping into that gap and helping walk with someone through that, which is exactly what Jesus did for us, right? He, yeah. he actually understood completely our desperate need, separation from the Father. He understood what it looked like for us to walk the way that we should in, in health and life, the way that God defines it. And he's the one that stepped in to make the way through his death on yeah. the cross. Yeah, so when you think of First Corinthians 13, you get some things that nobody argues about, patient and yep. kind. But when it gets to love rejoices in the truth, that can be more confrontational. When you think of somebody who's anorexic and they say, I'm fat, and that's their view of themselves, it would not be loving to affirm them in that right. view. We wouldn't say like, yeah, you were, if you say you're fat, I guess you're fat. That's like, your truth. Live your yeah, truth. Yeah, that would not be a loving thing to do. What you, A loving thing to do would be to confront them with the truth. No, you're not fat. So we recognize that in those areas, but oftentimes in different situations, confronting with the truth is not seen as loving, it's seen as mean. Mm. That's where we have conflict in our world, whereas what something we would see as very loving, other people would see as extremely unloving. And then we're back to, well, what is the definition of love? And clearly, again, you've alluded to it, that there it has been done poorly. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you confront people with some things, you know, the thought in how you state it and and how it comes out is is important to consider. But that doesn't change the issue that might be at hand. And that's the beauty, I think, of the gospel and who God is. Like, God defines love. It's not coming from my opinion. It's not coming from Jake's opinion or Nathan's opinion. It's coming from the Creator who created all things. And remembering that, that's an ambassadorial role that we have as Christians. It comes through as being ambassadors of Christ. And so God has defined love. Like we, you know, oftentimes I I find myself doing this where I have my life and then I've added God on the side of it, but actually he's doing his thing. And by his grace, he's added me onto the side of it. And so he's defined love. He's defined what is real and what is truth. Okay. So this is an equipping podcast. We want to equip our people to be able to live this out, not just know some facts, but actually grow in maturity and, and be able to live this out as everyday missionaries. Help me out, guys. How does this help people? Like, how do we actually become equipped to not get these out of order, to diagnose in our own lives? Like, how's this work? Yeah, I think uh, maybe taking that from two angles. How do I recognize idolatry in my yeah. life? And then specifically, how do I recognize the idolatry of love, my neighbor? The first would just be, in general idolatry, there are emotional indicators. Um, there are a lot of things in this world that make us mad or frustrated or sad. But there are some things that really make us mad or frustrated or sad. I think asking questions of our own emotions, why am I so mad at that? Mm-hmm. Why, why does that cause anger in me? Why is that cause deep sadness? And when you trace those down, you might feel like, 
oh, I'm treasuring something more than I should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I just give an example of that? Yeah. And this might seem childish. This struck me like a ton of bricks for some odd reason yesterday in a conversation I was having. But like when you think about it, you think about even a two-year-old, okay? And I'm not trying to belittle anybody, but you think about your child and their desire for their Lego or for running out on the street. And it's an irrational thing. They desire to do it. They don't know the outcome, but they're hell-bent on, I'm going to have this toy, or I'm going to run out on the street. And so when you take that idol away from them, you get that irrational thing. And the reality is, we're that two-year-old mm-hmm. at times. And so when just with your point, just reminding you as you think about idolatry in your life and stuff, stuff you value too much, like, why, why does that make me mad? Well, the two-year-old gets mad because he wants the Lego. And someone else has removed the Lego. So thinking about it practically mm-hmm. like that. I think another heart diagnostic is is kind of the question, what wins when two things compete? So if, I mean, this is kind of a classic example, but I've seen it in my, in my own family's life in some ways. Like, hey, youth sports, good thing, good gift from God, teach life lessons, get exercise, all good things. But, okay, if there's a tournament on the weekend and it's, it's Sunday morning, does the tournament always win? You know, if, if those two things go head to head, does the tournament clearly always win? Because God tells us actually gather together, <laughs> like, mm. you know, worship with his people. And even just for parents, maybe you're teaching your kid, hey, if this activity competes with church, the activity always wins. You're telling them which order to put things in, right? Now, again, we're not trying to make extra laws of like, we better see you church, but why wouldn't you want to come? You know, that that's, again, that heart diagnostic. Like, okay, why is going to this tournament more valuable to me than gathering with God's people and worshiping? Now, again, we're not trying to lay down laws on you of, like, never go to the tournament, but look at what competes, what wins. Mm-hmm. That's good. So when it comes to idolatry of love your neighbor, like, how do, how do you <clears throat> discern if that's happening? I think a really clear sin that we can look at is... Are you loving your neighbor? If you're not, you're in violation of the second command. And we need to work on loving our neighbor um, to do that. Okay, what if we are loving our neighbor, but a good thing has become an ultimate thing? How do we determine that? Um, That happens when, or loving God has now been separated from loving our neighbor. Or we're affirming our neighbor in the name of loving our neighbor even when we're affirming sin in their life and what God has called sin, that means that you have made love your neighbor idolatry, even at the expense of twisting what love is. And when you say affirming something, even spell that out, because maybe I'm not putting a rainbow flag in my yard because I've got to get a mm-hmm. neighbor and I want to feel comfortable, but what, what else does affirming yeah, look like? Yeah, that's a good question, because I think when you hear the word affirming, you automatically think of homosexuality, which is an aspect and it's a pressure in our culture, but maybe... A husband is wanting to divorce his wife, and he's just like, I can't stand her anymore. I'm not happy. And it's like, oh, you need to be happy. You know, God wants you happy. Let me just affirm your decision in that. It's like, no, fight for your marriage. If you're feeling, you know, convicted on maybe the ways you entertain yourself, you're like, I mean, and it's like, no, you're like, it's fine. We can watch this, whatever it may be. Like, it's not in line with godliness. And you're affirming it in the name of loving your neighbor. It's like, no, that's become an idol. And that really elevates the importance of us learning to abide and walk closely with Jesus, where we love him and obey him, so that we can sift some of these things out. Because if we try to list every cultural issue that, okay, be careful of affirming this, that, or the other, in a month, 
in a year, those cultural issues will shift. Mm -hmm. it, it's that classic thing of like, how do you learn to identify counterfeit money by studying the real thing? Mm -hmm. And so when we study what actually loving God looks like and let him define those things, that's going to equip us to better hit all the kind of cultural whack-a-mole when it comes to... Definitely. Different. And whether you're liberal or conservative or Republican or Democrat, each camp has their own ungodly things you're tempted to affirm. Yep. Instead of like, we don't want to be liberal or conservative, or we want to be Christians, shaped by the scripture to be able to recognize error, uh, love our neighbor as an outflow of loving God with all our soul, mind, and heart. You just opened another can of worms about idolatry and politics. Uh, we're not going to chase that <laughs> rabbit trail right now because we want to think, like, th this article is coming out. I encourage you guys to, to read it on the website. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, you should be able to find it. The idolatry of loving your neighbor. And again, it's just giving us some fresh categories to go, okay, maybe I've put a good thing in a God place. Maybe I've gotten these things out of whack. Guys, what, what next steps do we have for our people? Yeah, go and check it out on the website. Anything else kind of in our church culture that people can do to continue to grow in these things and, and be equipped? I would just challenge our people to see the appropriate love of neighbor as an outflow of love your God. So when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he's like, here's the first and the greatest. Love God with all your soul, heart, and mind. If we can become people passionately in love with God, our soul, our heart, our mind, um, we're growing in our theological understanding, like we love God, it's going to overflow uh, into appropriate love of neighbor. So I would say foster your love for God, uh, deepen your understanding of God and His character and your understanding of the Scriptures, uh, worship God passionately, mm -hmm. it will shape you. And then he says the second is like it, like when you're that type of person who wholeheartedly loves God, you're going to be that type of person who, who loves your neighbor. And in, in the Resource Center, we've had the book, The Art of Neighboring. That one way to just kind of get some traction, if you're going, man, maybe I haven't done this right or haven't done this at all. Um, I know the book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key from Rosaria Butterfield. I think we had that at the Resource Center mm -hmm. a while back. Um, she's written some great articles. Definitely takes like loving your neighbor to a pretty intentional, intense degree. Um, also, the book Desiring God that we've had in the Resource Center, like, man, how do I learn to love and enjoy God and find joy in Him in a way that actually overflows in loving my neighbor, where I'm not worried about their opinion of me if, if God's opinion disagrees with them? And I think what's key, like we've been saying, too, that love of God is going to fuel it. It's going to help if you're confused now and saying, like, well, what is love? And what is truth? And how do I share it with, with my neighbor? Well, you're going to learn about, in your love of God and study of his letter to you, you're going to learn about how he'll fill you with words. Like, when you're like, I can't say this, I can't do this, I can't represent this, you're going to learn about his spirit and that his spirit is always with you and his spirit is filling your mind and teaching you and growing you and also giving you a boldness to share. And so some of that loving neighbor is going to be fueled by the by what you know about your maker, that you know that when you're in the backyard and your knees are knocking together, that God is with you, that God is with you. And you're going to approach the person, I would hope, in love um, and kindness because you know that you were once as they were lost in your trespasses and sins. And so you're going to have a lot of grace for them because of God's tremendous amount of grace for you. And as you rake or as you cut trees or as you help fix a, 
up their garage. As you help do that stuff, it's going to be fueled with the strength that God provides so that in all of it, he gets the glory. It's going to fuel those conversations, fuel those very practical steps of what your neighbor needs. And when you source this out of the first commandment, it's the same thing. Like, we're not telling you 10 things. Like, this is how you approach your elderly neighbor. This is how you approach someone of a different race. This is how you approach someone of a different culture. This is how, yeah, there's all that. But when your your primary source is the gospel of Jesus Christ, it addresses all those things rather than trying to study every one of those things going back to the study of a counterfeit bill. You can study all the counterfeits or you can study the one that's it. Mm-hmm. And that that's the source mm-hmm. for how you address everyone. And Veritas, as we're kind of finishing this up, if God is exposing in your heart some places that you have gotten the commands, gotten the priorities out of whack, I'd encourage you, find someone in your connection group, find someone in community, um, confess that, like confess that to them and invite them to pray for you and, and turn from those priorities to something else. Invite accountability in your life. This is, a, this is a team project. This isn't just up to you to try to make yourself better, but God's given us his body, his people. And that might be some hard conversations where where someone actually points some stuff out in your life that you didn't see or didn't want to see. But as we learn to do this in love together, we get to grow as mature disciples and be equipped as everyday missionaries, all for God's glory. So we love you guys. We hope hope some things in here have been um, equipping and tangible. And yeah, encourage you to go check out the article on the website. Rev, thanks for joining us. Matthew, appreciate you, buddy. Good times. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 